here. Welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits. Coming to you from a special place. We are in the one show up here in Portland, Oregon. At the Zydell Shipyards. That's right. And uh, boy, this has been a great weekend so far. We've had some great interviews and uh, oh, so good times and so many people. Um, but I wanted to get to who is here with us first. Of course, you know, the dulcet tones of Miss Emma. Aloha, darlings. Here I am. Yes, and of course, everybody's favorite, it's Bagel. Greetings coming to you from Portland, Oregon. <laughs> exactly. I've been in person. <laughs> and joining us for the second time, it's Eric. Eric from Seattle. How y'all doing, folks? Yeah. And you were just down at our rally, and yes. now you're up here. Yeah, me and uh, Kevin here. We're both down there. Yeah, yeah. well, we're going to get to that. This is it. Kevin, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Joining us for the first time, it's Kevin. Hello, Kevin from Portland, Oregon. Signing in. Hey, yeah. that sounded good. <laughs> not calling them out or anything. This is harder than it looks, guys. <laughs> well, wow, what a great weekend. It's Saturday night here, but uh, some of us have been here. You guys got here earlier than me, but I got here like Thursday afternoon. Yeah, no, I got, I got in um, probably Thursday lunchtime. Um, you know, both myself and Bagel, we've got bikes in the show, and so you're kind of restricted as to the times you can bring them in. And load-in was, I think, 11 to 3. So you've got this window. Um, you bring your bike in, and then they just close the builder load-in. So you really got to make it on time. Um, but this is, it's just, this show gets better every year. Every yeah, year. And I wanted to talk about the show. It is getting better every year. So we said that we're here at the Zydell Shipyard. It's a really fun and funky Location. It's just a giant, like, open building that there's a lot of opportunities for tetanus. Crunchy. Yeah. <laughs> Very crunchy. It, it gives that danger element, it you know? Atmosphere. Very mm-hmm. industrial. It's very Portland. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. It's basically almost like an abandoned shipyard with just chains and well, things all everywhere. You know, I'm, I'm going to let you two locals kind of extend yourself here because we do have a lot of listeners outside America who don't know what Portland is. Um, and I'm right in assuming Portland is an industrial city. It is, and it's uh, basically the home for the weird. Right, yeah. That's, well, that's our keep slogan. It weird. Keep it weird. It's become that, but what I enjoy so much is Portland is one of these great northwestern cities that are built on a river. There's a lot of industry. There's a lot of history here. It's a lot older than I kind of imagined it. You know, there's still a lot of old buildings downtown. It's a lot of new as well. I mean, like everywhere, it's being developed. But it seems it's still kind of in touch with a lot of its history. Do you think that's true? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, Portland. Portland's all about, I mean, it's really about the people. There yeah. is so much diversity here in what everyone does and hobbies and, and just who everyone is, and it's all accepted. It's great. And, and that's exactly it. The diversity is really represented here. Because not only they have bikes, they have bikes of every kind you can imagine here, from big, full-on, you know, Harley choppers to little mopeds and scooters to uh, vintage bikes to brand new bikes. Right. Uh, A little bit of everything, but it's not just that. Keeping that that vibe, it's also a car, car and truck show. 
It's also an art show. There's art everywhere. Right. There's also music. And food. Yeah. And mm-hmm. test rides and yeah. stunt shows. Yeah. And the Vendor Village doubled this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doubled. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say a big shout out to Tor and Tori Drake who from CC. Uh, coffee, CC Motor Coffee, it's a bunch of things. CC Motor Coffee Company. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who put this on. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, straight up, it is a very well-organized event. They have grown exponentially, and they have gotten even more organized with each time, but without yeah. seeming like sold out, you know, not right. yeah. well, you know, corporatized. In, in previous years, the, mo- the, mo- the one moto show has gone through some growing pains. I mean, just in the time we've been going, it was at the cheese factory? A pickle the factory. pickle factory. The pickle factory. And that was quite the venue. Mm-hmm. It was and of course, back in wintertime, it was cold, it yeah. was drafty, it was super industrial. Far more so than this, um, but a lot smaller show. And then I think four years ago... This is the third year at this location. Yeah, yeah. four years ago, it was at the convention... Memorial Coliseum. Or three, yeah. Yeah. Coliseum. three years ago. Yeah, 2020. It was at the uh, um, Coliseum. Yep. And then the last three years, it's been here. Yep. Um, this is a perfect venue. It really is. And, and talking about growth, uh, another thing that they have right out here is the Sunshine. And they have, you know, like the Icon Stunt Show. There's two different stunt teams. You've got the Icon Stunt Show riding like Harleys and sport bikes and doing the wheelies and amazing stuff. And then you got the the ramp and the giant inflatable uh, landing pad. And you got the dirt bikes doing these amazing, oh, that, that, like 60 foot metal high militia. metal militia doing jumps. And then you have our favorite, the Cossacks, oh, the yeah. drill team. Happy so, birthday to the Cossacks, 85 years young. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Birthday. Yes, and yes. then I just stumbled across this today. They've also added a whole other area with the BMX uh, course that they're doing demos on BMXs. And it's just it's just amazing. There's I consistently find new things every time I walk through. It is such an eclectic, fun event. It really embraces everything that we love. Which is that we love everything. Right. We're, we are not representing any one thing, but we represent everything. So does the show. And in fact, I think our interviews represent that too. We interviewed some bike builders. Yes. We interviewed some car builders. Yes. And we also did an interview where Bagel got to do something fun and new. Bagel, what did you do? I got to melt some metal today. (laughs) Yeah. I liked it. I want to do more of that. I, you know what I thought you were going to say, Bagel? What's that? I thought you were going to say, I got to melt a hooker's heart. No, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. No, not today. Okay, you do that every day, darling. Yeah, yeah. So let's get to these interviews, and then after the interviews, we're going to come back, and I think we're going to get some. Yeah, from some feedback from everyone here, like their synopsis and maybe their favorite things. So let's let's hear the interviews. Hey, Liza here, and you know, as we're seeking out unconventional builds and bikes here, uh, I found something that kind of got my attention. First of all, it I I didn't realize what it was. That's the first. I think that's the first thing when you come up on a bike and you don't know what it was. Um, you not knowing what things are is quite normal for me, Liza. <laughs> but and it's not because it's it's a stock bike I'm looking at. But I, I, I assumed it was a Grom or a Benelli. It's not. 
upon closer look, I saw CF Moto, and I believe it's only CF Moto here. Now, I am with the owner of this bike, Daniel, from CF Moto. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's and my first time at the show. Yeah, but we've met before, yeah. and, and you've been telling me about the wonders of CF Moto, so it's got me interested. I'm like, I keep hearing about it, haven't seen one yet. This is my first CF Moto in the wild. So CF Moto is a Italian or a Chinese company. Yes. But maybe the one we keep saying, you know, they're they're so close to equaling and possibly surpassing the Japanese bikes that this might be one of the ones that's doing it. The Kove race bike, CF Moto, you guys are knocking out of the park with a lot of really cool models. I did not know that you had one of these small 125. I hate to say, but just because they were the first ones on the market, a Grom-type bike. Yeah, mini motos. What is this bike called? So this is the Papio. 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 Now... Sounds Italian, but it's actually Latin, so either way. <laughs> uh, or as we say in the industry, the Papio. Papio. <laughs> so it's a mostly stock bike uh-huh. with some uh, added things like a luggage rack and hand guards, some knobbies to make yeah. it look more rugged. But... There is some some modification here. There's an extra wheel. <laughs> There's an extra wheel. Exactly. So tell me what you have attached to this bike. Yeah. So I wanted to do something fun just for some smiles on our on our mini bike. And sidecar was the obvious answer to me. And something that didn't require any performance mods or like any major customization. It was somewhat bolt-on, but custom bolt-on. So we got the basket. Um... We purchased that, uh, added another front wheel and tire to the side of it. Um, all the connections I worked with on uh, with our fabricator in our design and innovation group back in Minnesota. And so it came with three... Ideally, I think uh, this sidecar was supposed to have three connections on it if you were going to attach it to a Grom or a Monkey. We tried that first. It was pretty unstable and uh, wasn't as rigid as we needed to, so we did four connections. Um, kind of overbuilt it, but... I'm hoping that's so it can survive some uh, some trail riding in the end. So what originally caught my attention is this sidecar is from Industrial Moto Design. Yeah, yep, from Tyler. Same one that I put onto my Benelli, which I have yeah. yet to see. Yeah. Now, I sent my bike down to his shop mm-hmm. to have the mounts fabricated because there's mm-hmm. no way I would have the first clue on Me how neither. to do that. <laughs> yeah, I had a great fab guy at our shop. Uh, but Lucas, you did. Me, you yeah. just bought the sidecar. <laughs> now you guys have to figure out how to mount it. And this is kind of what I'm really fascinated with, with a lot of the builds here, when people figure out how to put things together that aren't supposed to go together. Right. So how did you guys figure this out? You said three points was a little yeah. wonky. Well, I think Tyler originally had some like turnbuckle like heim joints on his, so they could not flex, but mounting them you didn't have to worry about them being exactly perfect then you tighten them up we tried some heim joints they had a lot too much slop in them maybe we had the wrong ones i don't know so we ended up doing a full rigid mount um there's little inserts aluminum inserts in there so those are like perfect fit um we call that aluminium in england that's right (laughs) aluminium and uh yeah so i actually went pretty old school on it i a friend of mine at CF Moto used to set up sidecars mm. in our service department and uh, I went to Willie and asked how do I do that and he said well here's this book <laughs> so I printed off a page from a book 
with just some geometry, some maths, and I brought that to my fab guy, uh, Lucas, and we just worked on it. Right. A little bit and of trial and error, but for the most part, the math of like where the axle is in relation to the bike's axles, the weight distribution, the toe-in, the camber, all that, we just kind of did from the book, and it worked out. It tracks really nice. Right. And, the, I mean, it is. There's a little bit of magic involved in yeah. this, because if I remember right, there's a tiny bit of toe-in, yeah. and there's a, a tiny bit of camber... So it's supposed to be out. We ended yes. up doing a, a, a degree or so in. Yes. Um, and it still works fine. I think just because of the scale. Right. I, I was going <laughs> to say. It doesn't really matter on this. When scale. you are putting, because traditionally in England, you know, sidecars have been family transport. Yeah. So you tend to put a sidecar that's big enough for your wife and children. So it's the size mm-hmm. of a car. This everything is on a small scale. So right. I think there's some flexibility with the dimension. It looks great. But, of course, the sidecar wouldn't be legal to ride in it, of course. Not that I know of. <laughs> I don't know if there are any laws about them just having them on, because it's really just a three-wheel motorcycle. But yeah, I don't think you're allowed to carry passengers. Maybe a dog. But right now I have a Yeti cooler in it full, filled with uh, lead and LaCroix, so it's a good, it's a good ballast. <laughs> yeah, um, the cooler looks absolutely perfect on it. Um, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the quality of these bikes and it looks great it looks as good as anything the Japanese manufacturers are putting out and as I told you which came as a surprise to you if you buy a Honda Grom or a Kawasaki Z125 neither of those bikes are made in Japan yeah I was amazed to know that I had no idea And, and I will go so far as to say this is no Amigo. <laughs> so, Liza... There's a sliding one, scale there. Well, yeah, yeah, no, and Liza, in one of Liza's classic bonehead moves, bought an Amigo, <laughs> thinking it was going to be the greatest thing. No, to be fair on you, ah, you knew it was going to be bad. Exactly, and that's the thing, and I was saying, uh, bikes like CF Moto, they have a big hill to, to climb, and that mm. Chinese-made is crap. That's not always true. When I bought the Amigo, I knew at that price point what I was getting. So what is a bike like this Papio retail for? Yeah, these retail at $29.99, so just under three grand. So that's right in that's there yep. with the Benelli, with mm-hmm. the Grom, actually a little bit less. Yeah, it's a few hundred dollars less than the non-ABS Grom. Um, yeah, that's where we're at. We've got a couple other versions of this out in other markets, um, so I'm hoping to see those here at some point. Uh, yeah, we've got kind of like a scramblery version of it and then a sport bike version of it. I'm hoping those, those come here. Uh, but right now we have this uh, as a 22 and a 23. And um, the thing I like about it, it's the equivalent of going up to 11 because <laughs> it is not a 125, is it? It's a no. 126. It's a 126 for some reason, yeah. <laughs> well, then, no, it goes up to 11. And it's a six-speed transmission, too, which oh. helps it get along. I mean, there's a lot of extra shifting which I never complain about. It's just more fun. Well, you know... And, uh, yeah, I can do like 63, 64 with me on it, so it's a good time. Mini bikes tend to come in two flavors, and they come in the flavor that's based on the Honda platform, mm-hmm. like the Gram, like the Z125 with the straight-ahead cylinder. Yep. That goes 
back to the Honda Passport and Super Cub days. Your engine is based on something else, and it's the Suzuki platform, going back to the GS125s and the GS200s. And what I find interesting, I think it's a far prettier engine, <laughs> because it looks far more like a motorcycle it's engine. much more traditional, yeah. Yeah, the cylinder sticks up at the top, yep. and you've got easy access for an oil filter. Mm -hmm. There's a reminder for you, a Grom does not have an oil filter. Just a screen. Just a screen. <laughs> so, um, I think it's great. I've looked over it. And I gave it the critical eye. And I think it is equal in quality to either a Grom or a, or a Z125. So I just wanted to say that good choice on putting the sidecar on it. Because what I saw, what caught my eye is this looks like a bike that makes me want to do bad things. Yes, please. You want to get <laughs> on it and just rip and carve and yeah. have fun. You, got, you did a good job of putting this on. And uh, I can't wait to try mine out, and I can't wait to race you when we get them side by it's side. It's on. That sounds good. Good. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. All thank right. you. Here. We're here talking to Nathan, who, if you're a regular listener to our podcast, may remember we interviewed Nathan last year. But you've brought something new this year, haven't you? Um, it kind of defies description, so we're going to get into detail. But just give us kind of a brief idea of what we're looking at. Long, low, mean speed machine, I guess. Like that's... So you described this is a land speed record bike, and are you actually going to make a solid attempt at getting a top speed out of it? This is kind of in a class of its own, but I know the speeds to beat, and I'm taking all the steps to make sure that even if it does blow up, I'm going really fast. Okay, very good. Well, that's a good place to be. Emma, let's start with, can you describe, just as you walked up on the bike, did you know what it was right away? Well, I knew what the genre was, because if, if you're building land speed bikes, long they have to be very very long when you say long it's not long by motorcycle standards it's just long i mean you're talking something that's seven feet plus long it's very very low the riding position is prone um and they need power now as good a place as any is to start with an engine now nathan you told me this bike's pretty much made up of your leftover stuff so we'll talk about the engine that is a honda 550 is it not that is right. That's my sweet 75. Okay. And pulled it out of a barn eight years ago and sped all across the countryside until the uh, cam chain took a swim in the oil pan. Nasty business, and that is the fate that many Honda 4s um, take. So you put a new cam chain in it. Now there's a. Oh, there's a lot more going into it. Yeah, so tell me what you've done to this engine. Uh, so it's been fit for hyper eutetic pistons and taking the crank into a ba balancing shop so we can raise the rev limit I've polished the rods the, the transmission I have is in perfect condition mostly re-gearing it because originally these things would barely do 105 so I opened up the sprocket cover to take a 19 tooth sprocket okay That'll wake it up. And then Sprocket Specialist will make you anything you want. So we got a 37 for the rear. Okay, so we're going to assume what 
what do you think the rev limit is on this engine? These Eight. bikes can do 13k. Okay. When they're prepped. So if we assume, let's be conservative, let's assume it's good for 12,000. What what would that equal to for a theoretical top speed on with this gearing? The gearing I have on today will do 151. Okay. That's, that's if the heavens align and I get some, you know, some spiritual hand pushing me down the track. Fantastic. Um, but that is not all. So we've talked about the engine. It's got this natty little turbo on it. And I think that might be the smallest turbo I've ever seen. That That is the essential eBay turbo. Uh, I'm sorry, it's turbo. It's turbo, darling, turbo. You must get I, in touch with your Hispanic side. It's turbo. I just call it my pet snail. Yeah, it's, uh. it's a darling little thing. Um, and yes, we've all bought turbos off of eBay, including the one that was on my pink gold ring from a couple of years ago. Um, but it is, it's very small. And you said it belongs on a Yanmar tractor? Yeah, so the part number cross-references for Suzuki Jimny 600. So the little golden nugget uh, uh, off-road K-car. And then there's a three-cylinder diesel that this does the, the breathing for. Okay, and you've got um, Mikuni Pumper. Yeah, that's, that's the, uh, the HS40. Right, and it's a draw-through system, yep, yep. which now, when I built the uh, my Goldwing, I didn't want to do a draw-through system because I was always frightened of setting my genitalia on fire. Um, however, you've taken that leap, and you're not scared, are you? So you have a draw-through system where you actually have um, the gasoline charge right next to the exhaust gases. You are a brave fellow. You know, so my friends that run turbos um, actually informed me the intake side, when it has the fuel on it, ends up with a cooling effect. Right. So it's going to get a really dense mix. And, and dear listeners, you need that dense mix because the denser the mix, the higher the oxygen content, the colder the temperature, the more power you get, which is great. Now, um, I want to move on to your partner. Who are you, dear? Uh, my name's Donald Freelove. Now, Donald, um, Nathan said you were a co-builder in this project. Um, what are you responsible for here? Uh, well, I'm responsible for getting him into a new hobby slash skill. <laughs> My older brother got me into 3D printing, and he's actually the one that ended up doing the final prints for our electronics box, which is currently hidden, and our battery box. And I'm glad I've actually met somebody who's involved in this because I think as we move on with custom building 3D printing is going to become more and more prevalent it's something that simply wasn't around a decade ago or even five years ago what the hell's 3D printing and now we're in this position we can make anything yeah we've which been is running, great we've been running into an issue because the demands of a motorcycle, much less a racing motorcycle, the materials that you can just go on Amazon and order are great for prototyping, but getting a consumer-grade at-home 3D printer to, to do the materials that can actually take this abuse is a lot bigger investment that is kind of a next step if we keep going Right, but I mean, where we're at right now, in a, in a prototype machine like this, you're testing whether the theory will work, you're testing whether the materials will work, you're testing whether the design will work. 
So, um, so I guess you're responsible for quite a bit of this bodywork, these side panels, which are just uh, fantastic. So the side panels and the tailpiece are actually made out of Kydex. Uh, a lot of people use Kydex for making pistol holsters and knife sheets. I'm not it's, even familiar with that material. So Is it, it a plastic base? Yes, it, it's a moldable plastic. Uh, you, it's a thermal moldable plastic that you heat up either in an oven that you'll never cook food in or on a heat bed or what we did was... Uh, you just used hair dryers? Yeah, basically hair dryers, heat guns to heat Wait, like up. shrinky dinks. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we just already had the under frame ready cut out basic shape design laid it on heated it up pulled it around cool rag to cool it down and lock it in place and if we had to make any tweaks just heat it back up and make the tweaks that we no, needed to it, make it looks absolutely oh, and the fantastic is kydex as well it looks fantastic well done um and you've got this glorious wrap on it, which it's it's kind of a shame because in here it looks great, but this bike is far from grey. Um, it goes all the colours of the rainbow when the light hits it. It's an incredible looking thing. So, um, is it in running condition right now, or are you still working no. on the on the bugs? <laughs> the paint runs. The paint runs, which is great. Um, like I said, I really need to get a hold of a balancing shop and finding anyone in Washington State that is agreeable to balancing the tiniest little crank out of these things right it's it's a teeth puller and you know again this is a problem that a lot of us face who build the older bikes for the things that you have to send out like crank balancing People who are familiar with that are getting thinner and thinner on the ground. Yep, I was giving you the two minutes. Yes. Fantastic. So, um... That's all I need. Do you want to cover... Did you cover the front end? Well, we're going to come to what I think is the jewel in the crown, is this front end. So... I'm honestly more proud of my cantilever suspension. Well, okay, yeah, let's talk okay. about the suspension in general, because okay. we're always mindful of the builder. So, the suspension really is quite extraordinary. We'll start at the front and move rear. What would you say the front Leading link? Earl's? It's, it's an Earl's-inspired leading link. Um, again, just a lot of raw material and spare parts mashed together in a way that gave me the stance I wanted. Right. Uh, so, you've got conventional triple trees. Those are original to the frame. That was the Yamaha frame. So, okay. And these were even the original chrome bars. So you use the chrome stanchions as a base, but that's where it ends. Now, you, you, you have this steel effect that has been welded onto the bottom, which serves as a carrier for the leading arms. Um, now, you sourced the steel for this, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I, I acquired some of the steel through legal means. And... <laughs> we, also, we also stubbed this Jeep full of tubing. That was fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. So, um, the leading the leading links themselves, what are they? It's box section. Um, yeah, so what is that, that? that's heavy wall, inch and a quarter box. Uh, the plate is mostly 316. Um, 
and then we added about you know five horsepower worth of holes. Right. So, and how do you cut it? Because you know, three sixteen steel is not something you generally do that, with a hacksaw. I uh, I got pretty burned with a plasma cutter. Just uh, all the amperage get through three sixteen. Okay, so plasma cutter, and then you just dress the edges. Oh yeah, them. yeah. There's so many so many hours of grinding put into this bike, figuratively and literally. Yeah, you know, many people have said you don't have to be the greatest welder, you have to be the greatest grinder. You're clearly quite a talented welder as well, because I'm looking at some of the undressed welds on this, and they look great. And this is something that you, you've recently explored, getting a TIG welder, isn't it? Yeah, well, and the funny part is, he's a production welder. Right. That's sometimes mechanics. Okay, and you're a mechanic that's sometimes weld. A perfect combination, I should say. And look at the end product. Um, what are these shocks off? Because they are <laughs> air shocks, and they're quite substantial. <laughs> Yeah, because they're for a Chevy getaway van. Okay. Uh, and uh, I originally mocked it up with the matching springs from the, the Dakar rally bike. Yes. But the spring rate for a long travel ATV versus an Earl's, it just didn't work out. Okay. Um, so I thought I'd just air ride it. But now these uh, these hijackers from the drag, drag strip, um, they're just shocks. Right. So I'm still on the hunt for a spring, but I was talking to uh, Mordo about the option of just putting a leaf right here and uh, going, I guess that'd be full Monroe, wouldn't it? Um, I think that would be quite cool. So, hey, Emma, I wanted to share with you something I really yeah. appreciate about uh, not just this bike, but builds like this. When you hear the builder challenge themselves, right. they want to try new tools, two method, new methods, uh, and to basically spent a lot of time on something that somebody walking by may not realize how much time was spent and that was not necessarily because of the the design or craftsmanship or the it's you wanted to challenge yourself and do something hard and that's what i love seeing in this because this is part of the growth of a builder well, the, the commonality you're going to see from us this weekend is we want to talk to the builders who are doing things out of the ordinary yes doing the less formulaic builds thinking outside the box, using more unconventional starting points. I mean, it's difficult to even say what the starting point is for this. I know it was a 650 Yamaha frame, but it's a 550 Honda engine. Yeah, um, it's, it's mixed and matched, it's stretched out, it's all... I didn't cut the neck, but I didn't have to. Right, no, the, the, the head angle on this looks yeah. great. But now, you, you're very, very proud of your cantilever back end. Yeah. Let's go back there and talk a little bit about it. So, um, this is quite a long swing arm on this bike. It occupies probably about half the bike's length. 24 inches. That is a long swing arm. It had to be 10% greater than stock. Uh, I think we've added a zero there. I think it <laughs> is... <laughs> I think it's easily, easily twice stock length. Um, I mean, before actually, before we get in swing arm, I want to talk about these m magnificent brackets you've used to mount the rear sets. Because, of course, like um, any land speed record bike, it's very much feet behind your butt. Um, good job on that. I very much like the bracing. Yeah, it's a little bit of ladder work there. Um, that was... That's, I, I appreciate that you saw that because it was some effort um, trying to hold those things in space and weld it at the same time. 
Uh, but in, inside where you can't see is some serious gusseting. Right, I can imagine. And the swing arm. So um, you started off, is that two-inch tube? So that is, again, that's 120 wall. I believe that's inch and a half. Okay. And the pivot tube is quarter-inch walled. Uh, one inch that we fit bronze bearings into. I was going to ask, so you're using a, a, a plain bronze bushing, which is probably very smart from a stability standpoint, but it's it's completely asymmetric. You've got the shock and the cantilever on the right, and on the left, it looks like you're just carrying the remote reservoir for the shock. And the mandatory chain guard. And the chain guard, of course, <laughs> which is a legal requirement. Um, it's a fantastic job. What would you say is your proudest part of the bike? You know, this guy. There you go. <laughs> and that's a great answer because building a bike, especially a custom bike, is something that should be done between friends. And if you have a friendship where you can both contribute to a bike and you can both make your mark on it and take equal pride in it what about you what's your favorite part of the bike um getting my wife back together and hanging out with this guy see how cool is that so this is your chance do you have any plugs a website you want to give right now uh yeah so after last year i chose a better name for the shop and uh, so Sandstone Speed Shed, there's a couple videos out on YouTube. Say that three times fast. Sandstone Speed Shed. San, <laughs> San, yeah, I lost it. Yeah, Sand, just Sandstone Speed Shed. One. That's enough. I, I'm okay. not doing it again. <laughs> Good. Well, again, when I see a builder who's challenging themselves, what I also see is somebody who figured things out. And usually when you're building it and you're learning, you're already building the next one in your head using the knowledge you've gained. Yeah, I actually have an extra engine block on the so shelf. There we go. So, yeah, we'll, we'll look for that next year, I hope. We're already looking forward to next year. Thanks for a great interview. This is just great. I think this is wonderful. It's, it's completely original. It's completely thinking outside the box. I love the thought behind it. I love the friendship between you two because that's what motorcycling is all about, right? We're here with uh, Nate from Central Welding Supply, and uh, I am interested in finding more about welding because it's something I've been wanting to do for a long time. Um, I've tried it, you know, a handful of times, but never really had any lessons that you know were just other than somebody showing me a few things. Um, so, if I were to, to start out on my own to to do welding, like say uh, some sheet sheet metal steel, um, where where would I start for that? Um, so I think that's like a really common question um, and I feel like a lot of people think that welding has a very steep entry point and the truth is it really doesn't if you kind of understand like the basics of welding. So um, I would say my first question is uh, what's the material type that you want to weld? Do you want to weld aluminum, stainless steel, carbon steel? What what materials are you thinking? Um, I would think, to, well, to start off with, maybe just uh, uh, sheet sheet steel. Like, okay. I guess, would that be carbon yeah, steel? Yeah, just a regular, normal sheet metal that yep. you could you know find just about any place. Mm -hmm. So what I would suggest, actually, it would probably be a MIG welder. Okay. Um, so just a wire feed welder. I'm not sure if you're familiar. I've used mm -hmm. one of those before, but 
you know, the good thing about MIG welding is it's it's just like using a small excavator. It's very it's a scalable thing. The controls are going to be the same regardless on whether you're on a machine you can rent from Home Depot or one that's uh, you know, a giant one, you know, that that you might see out in a field or a mine somewhere. So uh, MIG welding is the same kind of thing. You could get a small 110, 220 unit you could put in your garage for, you know, around 1300 bucks, 1500 bucks or so if you got to get a cylinder, gloves, welding helmet, jacket, that kind of thing. So not a huge, you know, for the less than a cost of a MacBook Pro, you know, um, and you're, you could be welding in your garage. And I just wanted to add, it made so much sense to me when I saw you guys here amongst all the vendors. Like, yeah, welding and motorcycles. Because at the Recycle Garage, one of the things we teach people is just basic welding. It opens up so many doors for simple customization. Yeah. Even if it's welding a little battery box yeah, or something. Or a light simple bulb, stuff. Like a little light tab or something. Or, exactly. Yeah. And so I love seeing that you guys are here in, in a place that does customization. Because this is one of the biggest doors you can open up to yourself in customization is welding. So, yeah, let's get into it. What's it take? Yeah, so uh, like I said, I mean, if you're if you're welding on any sort of thing like a motorcycle, typically, you know, they're going to oh, just be top. a steel frame. Uh, so, you know, TIG welding is obviously like a, a great, you know, a great way to do that. But, you know, one of the things with TIG welding is the material needs to be really clean. So if you're customizing a bike and, you know, you're not super familiar with... Um, all of the different, uh, you know, techniques of material prep and things like that. Um, TIG welding is a very clean and dialed process. So if you, you know, if you don't necessarily have all those skills, it, it might not be, you might not get the results that you're expecting. And I think that that kind of might turn you off to welding. So with MIG welding, you have that shielding gas uh, that I had mentioned, and you also have, um, a wire that's kind of capable of welding through a little bit of a little bit more imperfections than a TIG weld might might be. Plus, it's also just point and shoot. Yeah. Um, and like I said before about it being scalable, if this is something that you want to dive down the rabbit hole, maybe you want to get a you know a second career in the welding industry, you're going to be handed at something that's not plugged into 220. It could be three phase 480. It's still the same controls. It's still the same skill that you learned in your garage on that thin sheet metal, but now it might be a rocket or a tugboat or a barge or something like that. So kind of scalable skills. Yeah. So what kind of unit would you would you be interested in, Bagel? Oh, I was just going to ask. Uh, for, uh, for, so for, uh, with MIG welding, uh, that can be used for aluminum as well as steel? So you can use what's called a spool gun, which is an additional like attachment that you can add mm-hmm. to do uh, small, thin, thin like gauge material aluminum mm-hmm. welding. Um, you would need to get a different type of shielding gas for that, um, just straight argon versus uh, 75% argon, 25% CO2 okay. for the uh, steel welding. But um, you can TIG weld aluminum mm-hmm. with a machine that welds on AC. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, carbon steel, stainless steel, chromoly is all going to be welded on direct current DC. Mm-hmm. Aluminum is going to be welded on AC. Ah, so, if, so if I'm looking to do aluminum, I would need a different welding unit. Yeah, um, we have uh, here in the booth. We have a CK MT200. This this particular unit's right around two thousand bucks. Um, it runs on one ten or two twenty. Um, the power is obviously going to be limited on how thick you can weld on one ten power, but. Uh, you can also stick weld off of this machine, which is really nice. I don't know that I would be stick welding motorcycles together, but hey, you know, if you're uh, if you got the skills, you could definitely do it. 
but um, you know, stick welding is also a very, very low cost entry. It's literally positive, negative, stick electrode, no gas. You're just basically creating an arc between the end of the rod and the part that you're trying to melt together and you're off to the races. But again, not as clean and I think that skill, hand skill level is pretty high mm-hmm. as opposed to MIG welding, but yeah, something you could do on this machine. Okay, interesting. So can you teach him how to weld? How long does it take to teach somebody how to weld? Um, what I would say is I try to teach people how to weld to a procedure. Mm, okay. I mean, it's like if, if you try to teach somebody how to bake cookies and you taught them every different way to make cookies, it's like, are you really, you know what I mean? Are you really gaining these like fundamental skills? So if you start with a recipe and you say, okay, you set the machine here, this is the you know setting for the gas, this is the condition of the material that it needs to be in and you control all these variables down and then the part that you do with your hands like that's the variable so the goal is I think to eliminate as many variables as you can get yourself under the hood and just kind of start making welds and understand the process and how that's working and then build from those fundamentals so if you're welding on you know just two pieces of metal that are an eighth of an inch those two pieces of metal as long as they're the same material and thickness like it could be a dumpster, it could be a tab on a motorcycle, it could be a tab on the spaceship. It's yeah. As long as the material is the same, the weld does not know what it holds together. How did so, you know he's building a spaceship? Oh, you I thought are that was a, a spaceship. That's great. Yeah, we should, uh, we'll talk after. I'll come help you. Uh, an escape pod. Yeah, an escape pod, like in Spaceballs. So yes. for somebody who wants to get into welding, yes. what kind of investment should they look at making for an inch entry level? So I... Everybody that I've met, I think, that that has tried welding, like, once you do it, it's kind of hard to get out of. So I personally, this is only my opinion, I think that you should spend a little bit more money than you're planning on to get nice stuff up front. Mm -hmm. Um, Goes back to what I said about eliminating as many variables as you can. If you go to Harbor Freight and you get the cheapest possible machine that you can, or you get the just, I'm just going to dip my toe in. That learning curve is so much harder, the, yeah. you know, than it is if you just started with some like, you know, I'm not saying you need to go buy a ten thousand dollar welder, but just getting something that's like comes kitted up, ready to go, with the right stuff, name brand stuff, uh, is going to be as as helpful as possible. So that way you can keep your machine, or if you decide, hey, I want to upgrade later, your machine has some value that you can sell it and then use that to invest in a, a better or more powerful machine. Right, yeah, because I have gone to Harbor Freight and seen the welders there, and it was really tempting to just pick something up for, like, $300 that might might do something. You could stick weld but, for 300 bucks. yeah. I, I would say. And But but the, but, that, but that thought had occurred to me that it, because it's it's such a cheap product, it's probably not going to have that, that fine degree of, of control and... and uh, predictability in how it works yeah so that that i'm going to try to try to learn because i'm trying to learn how to do things myself if i can't if i can't if i don't know how the tool is going to react to me to me using it that's going to make it that much harder for me to learn yeah that's and that's the learning curve you're talking about right exactly yeah. it just like it would be like uh like learning a, uh, to ride a motorcycle and every part on it is loose right so you're like is this and, steering input that i'm putting in this or is this like you just, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. like, like the Nailed spokes it. aren't tight and the wheels are wobbling around and you're trying to figure out how to keep this bike balanced <laughs> and, yeah, and it, handle in a, cur- in a curve, right? And that's that, that's such a great analogy yeah. for, for, for welding. I mean, you're, you're literally 
controlling a, a molten puddle of whatever material you're melting right. to, you know, within 30 seconds of an inch. Yeah. So, you know, having a machine that's going to, you know, isolate that arc, make it nice and controlled and allow your input to be, you know, as, uh, as smooth as possible, I think is, is, that's to your advantage when you're learning. Yeah. The, the other thing a lot of people don't realize is that there's a lot of community colleges that offer welding classes. Yeah. It's one of the most popular classes at the college near our garage. Yeah. And it's a great way to get in and learn the basic skills before making the big investment. Yeah. I think that uh, any any welding education is, is a great opportunity. Anytime. It's just like if you... I mean, I think back to the motorcycle analogy, maybe because we're just at a motorcycle yeah. show. It's like... <laughs> You, you, there's no substitute for hours or miles. There's none. Mm-hmm. Like, you can read as many books as you want, but until you actually do it, yeah. um, and that's just, it's the same way with welding. So anytime that you can get under the hood and, and, and spend some time with the arc, is, is just time that you're building your skills and you're figuring things out. Um, so I encourage everybody to take any sort of welding classes or introduction to welding, or if you're at the One Moto Show, you can come and weld in our booth uh, we have live welding in our booth here. Oh, I got to get audio of that. Absolutely. You do it's some actually, um, yeah, we could do like AC gives you that nice. Yeah, like, do some welding. Uh, yeah, we could do some welding. Bagel got excited. Look, he's grinning. Yeah. Did you not know that we could do welding here? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I heard that you were doing it, but I'd be interested. Yeah, yeah we could do some welding. Yeah, let's have do you it. Have uh, uh, aluminum before? I have not. Okay. Ooh. So what we're going to do first, so... Yeah, touch it, you're going to raise it up about eighth of an inch to a quarter of an inch. Okay. And that's where you're going to keep it, and you're just going to run across here. Okay? Okay. All right? And there's no rush. So what you're going to see is a shiny little pedal. So go ahead, touch it. Uh, put the pedal down? Yep, put your hammer down. You can see it, right? Yep. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So, hold on. So go ahead. Okay, see that shiny little puddle? Yeah. Okay. Come this way to the left. Okay. okay, nice and slow. It's not a rush. Okay. Get your torch down. Put your torch a little lower, a little lower, a little lower, a little lower, a little right there. Okay. See that little shiny puddle? Yeah. Okay, come to the left, nice and slow. Take your time. It's not a race. This yeah. isn't a race. Gotcha. Come across, nice and slow. Keep your foot pedal all the way down. All okay, right. now let it off nice and slow. Okay. Nice and slow. There you go, all the way up. Bagel, how did it feel? That was pretty cool. It was it was uh, it was nice to have that power to like just melt some metal right there in front of me. Nice. <laughs> well, well done. Okay, so here we are. Now look, we're not just here exhibiting at the show. We are actually bringing you, dear listener, good content and any interesting bike we see. No expense spared. We're tracking down the owner. We're talking to them. And we're going to go into the most minute detail about their bike. So when you're sitting with your grandchildren or your children dandling on your knee, you can buy them. Just bore them mightily with all the details. Now look, I'm with a gentleman called Pokey. Uh, You've come a long way since your days with Gumby, darling. So here you are, and you've built... Well, really, it defies description. So first off, tell me your full name, darling. Okay, my name is Pokey Parmage. And, and where it, are you from? And it is Pokey. It's, it's uh, 
It's not a moniker. It's not a... No, this is your name. Me. That's my name, yes. But you told me it's a Canadian name. Yes, it is. So right. you, you, you're you actually Canadian. Uh, no. Nope. You're not. You were born in Montreal. There we right? go. There we go. Ah! Québécois. Um, But you live in Colorado now. Yes. And, um, gosh, the more I look at this thing, the more I say, so to start with, Pokey, give us a brief description of what we're looking at and then we're going to go into a lot more detail okay what we're looking at is a bike that i created because i wanted desperately to own a a um, antique bmw motorcycle but i could not afford one so what i did was over the years as a bmw mechanic i have collected up parts that uh, were very worn out and most quite a bit of it thrown away and I've done a, because I'm also a machinist and a welder, I was able to revive a lot of the parts to create this. Now, the, the engine and transmission, uh, the engine itself, I got as a block. And it was from a 1967 R60 BMW. And the crankshaft was absolute garbage. It was knocking around. So I pulled the crank, I rebuilt the crank, and uh, went out from there. Okay, so... We could argue that the engine is the largest part of it. Let's move to the frame. Now, back in the 1920s and 1930s, BMWs had what's called a flat tank. Yes, that's correct. And the correct. frame sat on top of the sat tank. inside it. Yes. Now, you've kind of duplicated that, but with your own theme. Yes. So, did you make the frame on I this I did. One? From scratch, did you use any kind of base point or was it, did you entirely start from scratch? I had three photographs to work from and that was all. Uh, three photographs of a 1927 R47. And uh, I just basically stood back and said, well, let's compare it to the engine size and try and get it as close as possible. And that's what I've done. So, you know, that's actually a, a good point I wanted to pick up on. When you work into a photograph, what do you take, a datum point, say, knowing the engine is this long or the wheels are this diameter, and then you extrapolate a length you need, say, for the spine of the frame? Yes, my extrapolation was done very technically. Yes? It was, stand back and does this look okay? And you know what? I've got to tell you that when I build a bike, I do a lot of detail work. But also, I spend a lot of time standing back and looking at it from a there distance. You, you have to. You have to. Because you have to get the dimension right. You right. have to get the, the, the... I hate to say the word stance because it's a car guy thing. But it's got to look right. Your bike really does look right. Um, we're not quite done yet, though, because there are more things to this bike. There's a basket on the back. Yes, yes. Would you like to tell me about that? <laughs> okay, that basket I, I originally got in Holland. I lived in Holland for, for three years. And it just so happens my daughter was born in Holland. Wow. So I used to haul her around on the back of a bicycle with that. And then when we moved back over <laughs> here, I attached it to my uh, 36 Peugeot. And I would ride her around with, it, with that. 
So this basket is specifically, uh, it's a Dutch invention to cart your small children around yes, yes. on bicycles and mopeds. That's correct. And also motorcycles. And it's wonderful because they sit, it's a side saddle affair. Yes. So they're in very, very close contact with you. And I can see a child actually being very comforted by that because they're not looking kind of at the back of your head. They're kind of... That's right next to you when you're very very close by and you see how far it goes up on the baby's body oh no I should so they, they feel very very uh, confident inside it yeah and you can probably put extra blankets in it's got it's got the most adorable little seat with little baby um, animals in it um, it's you notice how deep it is yes that's where that's where the Dutch would put their groceries Oh, so it's a dual purpose. Yes. Now, which brings us to... The Europeans have a very, very different attitude towards motorcycles and motorcycling than Americans. Oh, yeah. Americans has been a leisure pursuit from day one. That's right. Or a sporting pursuit. Europeans, this is daily transport. It's a serious form of transportation. So we come up with solutions that how do you get the daily or the weekly groceries? How do you cart your children around? safely expediently go, yes. and so this basket is part of that we're not done yet um <laughs> it's not a solo motorcycle is it it's a sidecar outfit yes yes so um and a lot has to be considered to turn a solo motorcycle into a sidecar oh it's not a five minute job oh, i know gosh, that no. no 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 so We'll start with the frame for the sidecar. Okay. Did you make the frame? I did. Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> um, it's actually, it's a gorgeous frame. It's tubular steel. Very, very elegant. You appear to have one, two, three, four points of contact. Absolutely. So it's probably very rigid. The body of the sidecar, which we're going to come to, is actually hung from cart springs. Yes, but let's back up a little bit. Please. If you look at those springs, they look hideous compared to the rest of the bike. Yes. You did, there's a reason for that. Okay. Those springs are from a 1913 Indian, Ooh. and that's its original paint. Oh, wow. I refuse to take the paint off and recoat it. So, the, I'm seeing actually a common theme in this bike. And this bike, aside from the parts that you've made yourself, is all repurposed things that people would have thrown away, people that things would have looked past Absolutely. because they were rusty and crusty or like the crankshaft, out of service, yep. and you've brought them back. So um, That's important. It, no, it is important, especially these days. Um, let's come to this sidecar. Uh, okay, the sidecar, the sidecar body is actually a body from a, uh, a drop tank for a P-51 Mustang. Uh, this never saw service. This was purchased after the war as military surplus. And oh. the, the reason the paint is the way it is with this red and white pattern is because uh, a farmer in my area bought seven or eight of them, cut holes in the top of them, put in, put in school seats, and then hung them from a horse trainer. And he would <laughs> go around, yes, he would go around and charge kids to ride in it. So this has actually been repurposed twice. Yes. It was designed as an auxiliary fuel tank for a Second World War fighter plane. That's correct. Then became a carnival ride and has found its, maybe its final use, 
who knows what happens in the future but it's third incarnation as a sidecar yes um so the colors of what it was originally painted i'm sure he didn't do quite as good a job as you have <laughs> on the color scheme but these are the colors it had when it was a carnival ride that's correct um i'd like to include a couple of pictures if we can on our website as we always try and do um but for those that can't imagine what a drop tank looks like it's what seven feet long six feet long I, I never measured it to be honest um it's it's about it's six like a bathtub yeah, yeah yeah it's about this long and about this wide <laughs> but it's it's a absolutely gorgeous bullet shaped tank um i'm sure it's made out of aluminum picture buck rogers yes yeah. it does look like a buck rogers rocket and you have made and you made this from scratch yes a buck rogers style fin yes for the bag Okay, let's back up a little bit. Yes, please. The body is not aluminum. It's not. No, it is not, because uh, at that portion of the war, aluminum was very hard to come across, and they were going to throw these away anyway, so they made them out of sheet metal steel. That's incredible. Now, you see the flange all the way around? Yes. That's the way they were made. The uh, It had a seal on it, and that seal was made out of brass. It was a folded brass seal that was poked in there and then tightened down. That's incredible. So it's a, it was a mechanical seal, and this held, a, I've never even thought of how many gallons of fuel it took. Or that, that much. That much <laughs> gallon of fuel. And I'm sure, the, I'm sure the P-51 burned through that much quite quickly. Oh yeah, because what they did was they would use the drop tank to uh, accompany the bombers across across the channel. Right. Do whatever it is to protect the bombers, and then on their way back, they would let it loose. They would just drop it. So I wonder how many of these things are in the channel. Are sitting at Probably the bottom of the in a English crap channel. Load. <laughs> right. So um, we've got this Buck Rogers style fin. Now, what did you make the fin out of? The fin is made out of sheet metal. There's no fiberglass, no body filler, or anything on this thing. Fantastic. Tail light from a 1959 Cadillac, Correct. which is absolutely unmistakable. It uh, had to look Buck Rogers. Yeah. It just had to. It's absolutely, I mean, it is extraordinary. Um, how long have you owned this bike? I can't rightly answer that. It's, uh, I do not remember. Plus, I owned part of it long before the rest of it. Well, I mean, that's the best part. So, I think we... Oh, as, as a motorcycle? Yes. As a complete motorcycle? Yes, let's go there and we'll okay. work back from there. I've, I've owned this for approx since approximately about 1990. Okay. Very good. So you, you've owned it as a complete motorcycle for 30, 33 years. Yeah. But components of it, I'm sure, for a great deal longer. Uh, some of the components, if you wanted to look at it technically... Uh, I've owned since 1972 or 73. Okay, so that is a large part of your lifestyle. You bet, you bet. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, what's the point? If it's not fun, it's not worth doing. And the thing I like the most about it, I mean, here in the 21st century, recycling, repurposing has become, you know, the byword. Here's a perfect example of it, that you really started this project well over 30, 35 oh, yeah. years yep. ago, and you had that in mind. So you're clearly a very modern thinking gentleman, 
Um, you know, I don't often get into sort of personal topics with our guests, but can I ask how old you are, Pokey? I'm 68. I turned 69 in, uh, in August. <laughs> and how often do you still ride? As often as I can. That's a great answer. <laughs> like, like we all do. I mean, I'm in my 60s. Liza's a little bit no, behind, no, but I she's... Think, I think you're lying. Yeah? I mean... <laughs> it's little that I think. Liza's a little bit behind, but accelerating fast. And we still enjoy our motorcycles Not too as fast, much I as... Hope. No, she's moving quickly. <laughs> um, it's absolutely marvellous. So, my question to you... What is your favourite part of this build? And I know you're going to tell me a lot of things. I want you to single in on your favourite part. Forgive the background noise. We've got a band who's just practising. Hopefully we can get enough of this before they start making noise, more noise. Pick, me, pick me a favourite part. My favourite part is this taillight lens. You know, it's funny. I was kind of captivated by that. And you've got a matching one on the yes, sidecar. Yes. Tell me about it. Okay, what it is, is it's made out of acrylic. And I turned it on a lathe. And um, after I got it the shape I wanted, I put it inside a piece of exhaust pipe. Yes. And tapped around the edge so it would stay in there. And then this is a piece of conduit, electrical yes. conduit. The cap on the rear, I formed that in a, on, a, uh, on an arbor press. That is incredible work. And it's so cohesive and it's so beautifully done. You would have no idea that was a handmade piece. Well, that's what's so cool about it. Yeah. You're a true craftsman, Pokey. You really are. I mean, there's so much detail. We could spend hours talking about Did this. Did you bike. use an F or a P in craft? Is it craft or crap? Craft! <laughs> um, no, it's, it's absolutely superb and a, a real credit to you. Um, and thank you for bringing it to the show for everyone to enjoy. No problem. It's been getting a lot of attention and quite rightly so. Yeah, I agree. It caught my eye as well. Well, you know, I have to, I stand back and I I hate to say it, but I like it. Ah, <laughs> gotta like your own bills, Pokey. <laughs> Thank you very much. You bet. Hey, well, that was pretty painless, wasn't it? Hey, Liza here, and at the one show, we have discovered these new treasures to us. Really, <laughs> something that they have expanded on. Uh, this year is the cars and trucks uh, and boy these they, they fit in perfectly you know one of the things I love about the one show is that it's kind of anything goes you know and then you come out here to the car show and it's anything goes we've got giant army trucks and old vans and there's a VW over there and a Plymouth over here and some are stock some are modified but I'm noticing some of these modified cars have something in common, something I didn't know about. Bagel, you knew about yes, this. Yes, I have heard about this. And these are gambler cars? Yeah. So we're here with Tevia and his gambler car. We'll get into what the car is. Can you first tell us what the gambler is? So it's the gambler 500, and it is, it's a lot of things. It's <laughs> the uh, best road trip you've ever been on, the worst car show. <laughs> um, the uh, funnest camping trip 
and the uh, it's actually the world's largest trail uh, trash cleanup. <laughs> wow, all the things in one. Mm-hmm. So, what are the rules to be a gambler car? So we have a saying: fun over rules. Okay. Where it's run what you brung, and with an emphasis on impracticality, you know, unreliable, <laughs> completely unsuited for off-road cross-country travel. And so a lot of the cars tend to be very inexpensive. Um, there is no dollar limit for it, but um, it's very much encouraged to find, yeah, those old forgotten cars that um, you know are sitting behind a barn somewhere, fix it up enough that it can last 500 miles over a weekend. That's great. We had an event like that down in uh, the Bay Area, San Francisco, called the Dirtbag Challenge, where you had a limited budget, and then you had to build a bike and then go for a long ride on it, and really tested everybody's Mm -hmm. builds. So you have a very unconventional car here. What did this start as? So this is a 1976 uh, Corvette Stingray. This has actually been in my family for 30 years. Ah. This was a daily driver by an aunt of mine. And then it passed to her son, who was going to turn it into a uh, drag race car. And was in the process of building a, a big block with a, 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 a big blower on it. And uh, he never got around to it. And unfortunately, he passed away. So it, it came to me with the, with the intent of, you got to build it. And I'm not a drag racer. I'm not a strip guy. I'm an off, off-road guy. And I said, hey, I'm going to take it off-road. <laughs> and the whole family was like... Absolutely. Now, before anyone gets upset at a Corvette going off-road, uh, excuse me for saying this, it's not a pretty car. Oh, no. This, this car <laughs> lived under a tree in Lake Shasta for about a decade before I got it. So and I never ruined a classic. It came ruined. It was pre-ruined it's, before it's, I got to it's it. It's all the right kinds of ruin. It looks intact, but it got different colors of paint. Mm-hmm. You can see pieces of fiberglass coming up. But again, it's there. It's intact. Oh, yeah. So you had this idea to turn a Corvette into an off-road vehicle. What what what, what did you start with? Uh, so the very first gambler that this did, um, I I didn't even I didn't change a, a thing. It was still on. It was still on a, a set of sixty series rear tires. It was still stock height. Um, I didn't do anything to it. I literally threw some sea foam and some gasoline into it, tinkered with it enough to get it going, and it didn't make it very far. Um, and so year after year, I've been adding to it and getting it ready. And uh, we did a lot of engine work. Um, uh, it's still a, uh, it still has the Corvette suspension. All, um, all I did was add some stiffer string springs in the front, re-arched the rear, did a little bit of stuff, um, spent most of my effort on the suspension because you feel absolutely every pothole, every bump, <laughs> every stone. And so... Um, uh, we got big plans for it, and kind of the idea is every time something breaks, we just upgrade it. Yeah. It's a good ex- good excuse to upgrade. So you've got some accessories on it to help you out in a bind, I'm guessing. Yeah. So this is still a Corvette. It's not four-wheel drive. I didn't do a body swap. Um, and it, it it is like a bulldozer. If uh, Once you lose traction, you just start digging trenches. So I've got some traction mats to help me out with that and the soft yeah. stuff. i got a shovel. Spare tire, of course, and then uh, when all else fails, I've got the mini bike to get me out of the Coleman mini bike to get you out. Yep. Uh, You got the light bar, the truck light bar on there. Um, 
this looks fun and I like the upholstery on the inside. Yeah, so these are the original door panels. Um, and uh, they, uh, they were a little rough. And yeah. uh, I had some extra stuff and I was like, well, let's go ahead and wrap them. So I literally sprayed some adhesive and threw them on there. And that's very gambler. It's very gambler to uh, just kind of whatever you have laying around in the garage and you slap it together. And what does the family think of what you've done with it? Um, you know, I haven't heard a single complaint. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's out from underneath that tree. They like the fact that it's out there. It's, it's doing good stuff. Um, you know, I threw my cousin's name on it. Um, and we're, like I said, we're out there, you know, cleaning up the trails. We're, we're the largest trail, trail cleanup. And so they like that it's still, it's still in the family. It's still getting rallied. It's getting raced. And, um, and we're doing good stuff. So, Is it fun to drive? Oh, it's a hoot. It's an absolute hoot. It's, it's still it's, a Corvette. Oh, uh, well, yeah. It's a Corvette on 32-inch truck tires <laughs> with really bad engineering. And so it is... I don't want to... The term rolling death trap gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. It is. It has horrible road manners, worse off road manners, but it's, it's a blast. It's an absolute blast. It sounds like that's what makes it fun. It sounds like that encompasses the gambler, you know... That's oh. what it's about, right? Oh, absolutely. This it's not makes, supposed to be easy. Oh no, this thing makes more donuts than Duncan. It's it's <laughs> it's a it's it's my favorite it's my favorite vehicle out of everything that I own. So, what do you do? You think you'll ever restore it, or do you think this is its new life? This is its life. And maybe maybe you'll keep building this up to be a better off-road Corvette. Oh yeah, we got some designs for uh, some some A arms to try to get it up. Um, I I jumped it once. What? Yeah, I did. I took it. There's a race series called Hoopty Cross, where it's 20 bucks. You can take whatever car you want on a uh, an auto off-road autocross track. And I, I raced it, and I jumped it, and I bent every pan under the body. I yeah. bent. I broke a handful of lines. It was an absolute disaster. But I want to do it again. And so, so, so we've done some modifications. We're going to see what we can't do to to uh, to make it so it survives, and then uh, that way it'll. Little, little race again. Well, I have one last question for you. Bagel here found out that they've added a new category. Yes, there's now a mini bike. Uh, mini bike enduros? Yeah. And That's right. Tell us what, about this. What advice would you give him if you were to enter for the first time? Uh, go to the bathroom before. <laughs> That's always a good idea. Yeah, just get it all out before you get it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we do 100-mile 100, 100 mini bike enduros. You can either solo it and try to do an iron butt. Um, I did that one year. I lasted 50 miles and then couldn't sit down for like two or three days. Mm. Um, or you can do it on a relay team. Mm. And uh, they are a blast. They are an absolute blast. I'm very tempted. Yeah, I very, think very tempted. there's two or three here in Oregon and there's one up in Washington. Now, I understand that these, these have to be pull start engines. Is that correct? That is correct. Pull start, uh, pull start only, no gears. No gears. And those are the only restrictions? Yep. Any engine size, any bike size? Oh, yeah. There's, uh, there's one down there. It's got a 420 in it. <laughs> How do you pull start a 420? You, you usually only do it once before your shoulder blows up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you, wow. get, you get a team and a rope. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I don't know. I, don't, I didn't look it up, so I don't know. But where does somebody go to find out more about The Gambler? Is there a website? Uh, there, is a, there is a website, thegambler500.com. Um, okay. A lot of it is on Facebook, uh, Gambler 500 Rally. Um, and that's where it's, it's very crowdsourced and it's very, there's little pop-up gamblers that come up constantly. Somebody will say, Hey, we're going to the cat. We're rallying through the Capitol forest. 
and 20, 30 cars show up. And then there's big standing um, events like the OG down here in Oregon. Uh, we've got the Sasquatch run uh, through the Olympics up in Washington. There's, there's a bunch of folks in Tennessee right now doing a gambler. So the calendar fills up real quick. Wow. Well, thank you very much for that interview. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks a lot. It, it gives me a little more insight into the mental state somebody has to be to do this, which is our kind. It's like, fuck it, it's fun. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Well, and there tends, That's it. There tends to be two kinds of gamblers. There's like myself and like the big uh, hearse over there. That's uh, yeah. my friend Jason's. He, uh, where they'll survive, and so you just keep building. Yeah. And then, you, you know, it survives another one. You just build on top of that. And so we end up getting these cars for, I mean, I've had this for five, six years now. And other folks, no, they go by the cheapest possible thing they can. They put a budget of like a thousand bucks for everything. And then when, when it's done, they literally just like leave the title, like push it into the junkyard and just buy another one next year, you know? And so they're, yeah, there's two very different, uh, two very different gambler groups. And I've had the throwaway cars. This just happens to be the one that just keeps surviving. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Hey, no worries. All right, so we are here with Kenny at yep. the One Show, looking at his gambler car. Uh, Kenny, tell us what you have. So I have a 2001 Toyota MR2, uh, heavily modified. Um, it's got a uh, Highlander 3.3 V6 block with Camry 3-liter heads. It's a pretty high-compression, high-torquey engine um, that we've completely modified with Camry uh, axles and drive width in the rear and we've uh, made it uh, ready to jump jumps and go in the dirt wow and and is it was all of that like plug and play or was there a lot of engineering you need to do to oh, make, no, the, make that all fit? one or two off yeah no i think only one person has done one like this before oh, wow. but uh and i actually got a lot of advice from him uh-huh. when i did this but uh but everything's custom made all the motor mounts every uh, we had a wiring harness sent in uh uh, Doug Copeland from Wiregap made a completely custom harness for me, and yeah. So it got a little loud down there. So yeah. we've, we've moved up here, up up next to Tevia's car, <laughs> your buddies. Yep. Uh, but uh, you were talking, Bagel, about the yeah. suspension. I, I was noticing that the suspension on the MR2 is sitting very, very high. Can Can you tell us about what you've done to it? Yeah, much higher than a stock Toyota MR2. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I went to a junkyard and. Uh, I had my measurements of where I wanted it to be, and I went out and started measuring different struts and different heights and spring ratios and uh, weight distribution as far as engine to you know rear suspension. And I found a good combo I liked the rear. I have a Camry wagon struts in my rear with uh, some Wait, Chevy <laughs> Camry. That's yep, your off-road Toyota Camry wagon okay. rear struts. And then I added some uh, Silverado overload springs okay, to uh, make up for the extra, for the extra weight of the V6 that I have in there. Yeah, in the front I actually have Nissan Sentra uh, springs because uh, a, Sentra, a Sentra with no engine in it is uh, it puts the springs really high. Right. And yeah. so I have no engine in the front, so that extra spring rate just made it perfect. Oh. Yeah. So may I ask the 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 question, the biggest question I have? Why? <laughs> uh, why not? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I wasn't driving the car. I had, I had uh, actually, you know, it's people do think I'm crazy because it was a perfectly good 2001 Toyota MR2 before I started cutting it up. And, uh, I just didn't drive it anymore, and I wanted to have fun with it. I didn't want to sell it. You know, I wanted to keep it. It was, you know, 
had memories for it yeah. with it and now I it's like my favorite thing in the world yeah, yeah. that's awesome and, uh, and it looks like you've done a lot of structural work to reinforce it. You've got a, like a, a... Yeah, we have a whole rear subframe that we built uh, custom. We have to do that for the front now. Um, we're going we're gonna to try to race it in the Mint 400 next year. Oh, wow. They opened a gambler class for us. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So uh, we have to do some more safety work to it. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, that's the goal. Wow. And then, and then the, the paint job on there. Yeah. Uh, that, I love that. It's yes. it, it, it painted in golf livery. <laughs> Golf GT40 is one of my favorite cars of all time. And, and, uh, and it's kind of got that race car look in the front yeah, of the too, yeah. so it, it fits. Yeah, well, and see, the, the, the Porsche, uh, I don't remember what Porsche, the board, they also had a Le Mans Porsche that yeah, had yeah. that livery, yeah. Yep, exactly. And that's uh, one of my favorites. Yep, and, and, and you even cut a scoop in the hood yep. to go Absolutely. down where the radiators are. That's well, and functional, like. I had to, re- I had to, you know, I used to have front mount radiators, yeah, yeah. and I had to build that whole yeah, frame for support. Airflow. Yeah, for but it, but it makes it look that much more like a golf race yeah. car. <laughs> yeah, so how capable is it now? Uh, well, we in, in dirt track racing, it's gotten a couple first place trophies. Okay. Uh, it's, it's pretty fast. It's, um, it's had some... Uh, had some accidents <laughs> i noticed <laughs> on the driver's side door it looks like it got crushed in so, on the side panel yeah that's actually from a pylon from the hoonigan lot we did a uh, we did a hoonigan special down um in, in uh southern california and uh that was in their lot jumping off ramps and pylon hit the side and <laughs> but my buddy has uh took it on a track he's rolled it yeah. That's when we built the the roll cage and everything else after that. Because this is a convertible. Yep. 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 <laughs> yeah, it's been rolled. Like, yeah, I was gonna say it looks like there's there's a lot of bends around the windshield. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I had a had a tow track with a boom just pulling that windshield out when I got that new uh, windshield in there. So can I ask you approximately how much you've invested in it? Because there's race components in it. Oh man, not there much. There are some. Not well, much you got the money. Steering column. So the steering—that's that was actually a gift ah, from my lovely ah, girlfriend. Ah, okay, yeah. nice. That uh, <laughs> that is the most expensive part on the vehicle. <laughs> Other than that, I've tried to source everything from junkyards, and I work at a wrecking yard. Or oh. not? I mean, uh, sorry, tow yard. Advantage. Tow yard, wrecking yard, same thing. So if anyone's but, missing uh, some parts off of their vehicles. <laughs> It might be here. <laughs> Absolutely not. But, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, yeah, that's a uh, that's that's my car. Yeah, but it's great to have that resource available to, yeah, to just find whatever you might need. It and, is, yeah. and if you're building something just out of your own your own mind, like you literally have everything at your disposal there. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's awesome. how I started. You know, I experimented with this engine. I didn't know if it would work. Yeah, and I just used the stuff that we had left over in the shop. Wow, that's really cool. So what will be your next big modification? Uh, well, as far as uh, getting it safety ready for the Met 400, uh, I'm going to rip out that whole roll cage, and it's going to get a certified roll cage, uh, fireproofing all the uh, things I need to do. Wow. Yep. So you're like, this is legit. Like, yeah, it's going to be. a lot of like. Yeah, it started out as stuff. just fun, but now it's we're going to make it legit. This is going beyond, beyond like the gambler. And yeah. Well, you know, like I said, it's still it's a gambler category of the mint, but uh, like this was the first year they did it. A couple months ago, they had a few gamblers complete the mint. So I'm gonna try it next year. And at any point, do you think why didn't I get why didn't I get something else? <laughs> Are you like you're, you? This is the commitment I made, and this is good. 
Yeah, well, you know, as soon as I took that sawza to it, I, <laughs> I, I figured there's no looking back. Yeah. <laughs> That's commitment at that point. Right. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're having a lot of fun with I that. I am, absolutely. And again, we were saying this is why we love that these cars are a new addition to the one show. Yeah. Because even though they're not motorcycles, it still is the same thing. It's the same vibe yeah. of like, take what you got and do what you can with it and, and squeak out every inch of fun out of it. It's the same thing, and I love seeing this, this, what you guys are doing with it. And it's not just a pretty car. No. It, no. No, it, it's just, no. run what you brung. Just, yeah, whatever you got, just have fun with it. That's the whole deal. There you go. Yep. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks, Kenny. It was nice meeting you guys. You too. Yeah. All right, so I'm here with Bill, who is the owner of a wizard. Uh, and this is uh, this is a pretty cool looking bike. Uh, it's not like most of the wizards I've seen before. It looks like it goes a little bit faster. Um, so, Bill, you want to tell us about your bike? Well, it's a reproduction wizard engine. In '99, they came out with the new ones, and they were dumbed down, you know, uh, to, to meet moped standards, so they would be 1.5 horsepower. And and so that you took them home, you could pull the restrictor out, turn the timing gear back a tooth and you can get up to maybe two and a half a little more modification you get to like three horsepower you know so I didn't like the way they look they look a little too peewee harmony for me so in so I convinced the company to to sell me just an engine in 03 and had my brothers help me modify some things on the bike and my one brother helped me lo relocate the seat tube and my other brother helped me build a gas tank that fit in the frame of an old Schwinn Cruiser. Can, can we just quickly say, you come from a family of renters, builders, racers. Yeah, my whole family races hill climbs back in Pennsylvania, uh, Oswald's in Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, my, my dad raced, my mom raced. My dad just retaced, retired from racing after 50 years um, at 86 years old. Um, so I'm, I'm jealous. So yeah, so I've been, I've been, my dad built a go-kart track on the farm when we were kids and we just been racing around since we were like seven years old That's awesome. <laughs> so, so uh, anyway we're just fabricators and we build things so so anyway so then I built it as a board track racer I rode around Pennsylvania for a bunch of years I, I moved to Portland Oregon seven years ago and I took it apart before I left and then during the pandemic I was sitting around watching a YouTube video about how to build a cafe racer and I was like hey, you know my bike has some of the basic lines of that and so then I just started looking at parts that I could get off the line and just, you know, and I just started finding things. So then my, I noticed my engine was a little bad and I was about to go electric and I realized how expensive electric stuff was. And then, and, and then I found, I, I'm not really good with computers. And I said, oh, look, I can still get a Wizard engine for $400. Well, the guy over there in Taiwan sent me these engines and it didn't even run when I got it. I took it completely apart, did a big bore kit on it, big valves. Um, so it used to be like three and a half horsepower. It's now like eight horsepower. Oh. Yeah. And, and it goes close to 50 mile an hour. Wow. Um, I'm st I still have a coaster brake, so I'm you know so I have a big yeah. a big 90 millimeter Sturmy Archer drum on the front to stop it. Um, the Sportster tank, by the way, like I keep telling people, look around the show and you'll see that this actually fits on here better than it fits on a Sportster. Yeah, because this is not your normal wizard tank, which no, is usually a little small. Yeah, it doesn't have a little peanut tank. I actually am running a, a 2.5 gallon Sportster tank because it looked like. The look I was going for was like 1920s or 30s Isle of Man TT or early cafe racer look was what I, English cafe. You know, it rains there, so you got to have fenders. 
Yeah, yeah so like modern cafe racers are all stripped down, but right. but this is more of an, a vintage cafe look. Yeah. And and it to the to the naked eye, it looks like a bicycle frame with a motor thrown in. But it isn't. This is a wizard frame, well, right? It is a bicycle. I mean, I started with a Schwinn frame. You did. So I started with a Schwinn frame. My brother welded. Uh, ah, I got, I got okay. wizard Schwinn uh, wizard uh, engine mounts. My brother welded them on for me. Um, and, and so you know, I actually started with a Schwinn frame. Even uh, the seat. Uh, my brother relocated the seat okay, too. Okay, so there's a going, lot of modifications. I was going for the oh, board yeah. track racer look, you know. Yep. And, and then I, I took a Springer front end that I got of an old 50s era Schwinn Springer still in the box. Oh wow! And I took it and I, I took it and took it. It was chrome. I had it sandblasted so I could get the chrome off of it, so I could paint it black so it would look like an old front end. Mm-hmm. Nice. And you even have the Clubman bars. Clubman bars, uh, the vintage Wizard um, levers and stuff really add to the. The whole thing was to try and make something that didn't look like I made it three years ago to something that looks like it's 50 years old. Like there's no zip ties anywhere for the most part, you know. I tried to I tried to really make it, and, and anything that was metal that I could sand off and make look metal, I tried to, you know. So it looks uh, and old. And, and there's and there's a very very small windscreen on there that looks very much like a scooter fly screen from a yeah. It's Vespa. off of the, it's off of an old Vespa. I, yeah. I uh, it was um, when I moved I? <laughs> when I moved here from Pennsylvania. I had a Dem Smiley that I picked up at a yard sale, but I just don't like the sound of two strokes. Sorry, two stroke folks, but I, I just like four strokes. And so, and so I, I traded him um, this whole moped for a bunch of moped parts, and one of them was that fairing, which I really like. Wow, cool. Now, now, did, now, did you do, did you do some work to the engine? To, to the, make en- the engine, I took the whole bottom end apart and redid all the bearings. Mm-hmm. The flywheel has been modified so that the timings. Uh, used to be 14. It's now set at 28 degrees. Oh wow! Um, the the cylinder is an aftermarket cylinder that Ralph Westman was making. Um, he's dead now, but Ralph Westman was a big wizard guy in Illinois, I think. Oh, and wow! He, and he was making these aftermarket cast iron cylinders. Then a buddy of his, um, and a buddy of Paul Fry. Paul Fry is the guy that's like the wizard guy. If you want parts for wizards out there. Um, Paul Fry's your guy. He's the um, Wizard Wizard? Yeah, wizardcruiserparts.com, I think it is. Oh, cool. um, but Paul Fry will help you out. And uh, and and so Buddy, his Gary took, he was a machinist, and he took the cylinder, bored it out so it was except 150 over piston from the 754 cylinder. Hmm. And, then he, wow. and then he machined his own high-fin, high-compression tri-flow head. Really? So, so it's, it's, um, it's, like I said, it's pushing close to 8 horsepower. It's like wow. almost 200 cc's. You know, in a bicycle, that's that's a lot of power. Yeah. So, top speed? Close to 50. Wow. And now you did something with the front fender, too, yeah? Oh, yeah, I modified the front fender. It was one of the old fenders that, you know, because back in the day, that the light on the front fender had a battery box under it. And, and it had, like, four D batteries in there to power it oh. back in the day. And and it was just took up space, so I went and I, I cut the spot welds off, and then I took another old fender and made that shape underneath and then had a guy spot welded back in for me, so it actually has that, so that's filled in underneath the light. The light doesn't, that light doesn't do anything, it's just uh, for show. The other lights actually work, you know. Oh, nice. Now, you have a few Wizards. I have three Wizards. Um, I have a fourth one I'm building to go to Bonneville is my plan. Oh, wow. Uh, big, uh, and uh, I have several engines sitting on the bench that I'm working on. There's. 
The real problem is, is that the wizard community is getting old and the people that are making the parts, the high performance parts are going away. And, and like I'm, I have like two brand new engines sitting on the bench waiting for mushroom lifters that nobody, nobody has, you know? Oh, no. So it's like, so, um, you know, they made, they made hundreds of thousands of the old wizards. They only made like 18,000 of the, of the 99 to 2007. So there's just not a lot of parts about Now, Bagel, we call you crazy for doing long distance riding on a scooter. Yeah. This guy has got you beat. Really? Tell him where you went on a wizard. Oh, we, we did a trip this past summer. I, I uh, rode from here out to Newport, uh, out the coast, and then down the coast, stopping at all the lighthouses we stopped, and then uh, down to Crescent City, California, and then back. Now, occasionally, wow. because because... You know, I only had ever been on the 101 up north, like near Astoria, mm-hmm. and up there it's a little windy road. I didn't realize it turns into a four-lane divided highway. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm out there flying along on my Whizzer at 45 mile an hour with a pair of Vespas that can go, and there was a 250 and a 300 Vespa, and those things can move. Mm-hmm. You know? So, I mean, every once in a while, after about an hour and a half or so, I'd put up my fist. They, they had uh, communication. They'd tell my girlfriend to pull over with a car. We'd load it on the back of the car, and away we'd go. But it was a fun trip, and I had a great time. But I, I mean, I try to ride Wizards any day I can in Portland, Oregon, that it's not raining. Nice. So this isn't your touring Wizard, is it? This is my go to the. This is my go to the bar Wizard. <laughs> it's the local Wizard. It's, it's not my touring Wizard. It's a cafe racer. It's a cafe racer. That's what it's for. It rides yep. the local bar and back. Yep. So bagel for you. What caught your eye with this build? Um, well. The, besides the fairing, uh, the the tank for sure, because that it is it is a, a it is a very prominent tank on on a bike that's that's this small and lightweight, but it looks great. Um, the seat also is is a really cool look. It's this this uh, natural colored leather, very old school style bicycle seat with a big you know round spring in the front and two upside down springs in the rear. Um, you know, it, and it, it just, it, it looks fast, the way that it's set up, and it's, it, it, just, it just grabs your eye as, as something unusual. Exactly, and it just goes right in line. It's very unconventional, you know. It doesn't but, look like much else at the show. Yeah. No, it doesn't, but I like that you've taken parts from other bikes, scooters, and Harleys and made it all work and made something that looks really cool and fun and the thing it says to me is says hey throw your leg over me this will be fun that's exactly it you know i had this up on the table and i was really looking at it and cleaning it up and trying to get rid of everything that didn't look right to me <laughs> and then i got it down i set it there and it's like two weeks it was like two weeks before the show yet and i was like god that looks rideable i had to get on it and i rode yeah. it to the local bar nice. you know because it was because like, it felt rideable well, thank you. And this is your first time at the One Show? I've been wanting to come here ever since I moved to Portland. I've always been on vacation. I was finally was able to come, and then I entered I entered my bikes, and they said, bring either of them, they said. <laughs> so, nice. so, so I was like, oh, okay, I'll bring the Cafe Racer. So what do you think so far? Uh, like I said, it's awesome. I love the, the all the eclectic bikes. Um, you know, I, I entered the scooter class, and if you notice, all the scooters are sitting up there, yeah. and, and I'm here. Yeah. So, That's true. So obviously, there's something different about my bike. Yeah, well, it, it looks ready to go. Yeah. Like, no, I wish I could start it up for you guys, because you would love the sound of it. It sounds like a funny car, just kind of like a, like that cammed up sound. Yeah, 
Yeah, you mentioned earlier, I heard you were talking that you, you have a different cam in there too, is that right? Yeah, it's got, it's got one of the later cams or a slightly higher lift, longer yeah. duration cam. Wow. So it, it, it definitely, you know, is throwing some, you know, using some fuel. And that, that helps up the horsepower too then, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and my other one, the one that's parked outside actually, this has like a 20 millimeter carburetor. My one outside has a 26 millimeter carburetor. Ooh. Wow. Which is a pretty big carb. Yeah, for an engine. It actually, car. it belongs on a Tiger, on a Triumph. Cub oh wow is what it belongs on but it, it was just right size yeah yeah and so i just machined out the intake so that it you know so it's port matched you know and the exhaust is port matched mm -hmm. um, it, it yeah the okay. thing the thing i like about this bill bagel is that you don't have to get an expensive bike or expensive parts to do a custom build i love that this is a basically a simple platform and that there are repops that are cheap how much does it cost to buy a a new Repop. Oh, Reproduction Wizard. I just picked up my 2005 at the Wizards uh, meet down in California. A guy had it. It was a 2005 with seven-tenths of a mile on it. I Ooh. bought it last year for $1,200. Wow. But, of course, I had to take it home and rebuild it. I had to take the engine out as soon as I got yeah. home and rebuild the engine. The but what a sick. great way to learn. What yeah. a great thing to learn on. Not a big investment. A lot of fun. They're and trying to make thing. it what you want it to be. It could be a board tracker. It could be a cafe racer. It could be a touring bike. But, but the amount of money that I have in my bot, the, the, the whole engine drivetrain thing, I could have bought the Harley that went with the gas tank. <laughs> <laughs> or you can just go way overboard and spend way too much time and money on it. But that's, you know, that's what's great about this. You can do whatever you want. You can do that if you want. Right. Yep. You exactly. can. You can go overboard. That's awesome. with anything. <laughs> well, thank you very much for sharing your story. It was, I love talking to you. It was great. Thanks. And for anyone interested in Wizards, is there a website or something you'd say go to? I would say uh, Paul Fry's your guy, and, and then you can also, uh, it's uh, uh, wizardcruiserparts.com. Uh, oh. And then also there's a wizard newsletter. You go online, if you're actually a wizard person and you're looking for information on wizards, get on the wizard newsletter. It's like, it's it's cheap uh, entry thing, but they, they send you a newsletter every month, and there's all kinds of performance stuff, and you get connected to everybody that's involved with wizards. That's great. That's an inspiration. Thank you so much. Have a good day. All right. I left my beer over there. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> go get your beer. Well, isn't, isn't that cool? There's just so much to discover here. And I think those interviews show perfectly that you have to really pay attention to what you're looking at to find these stories because everything has a story behind it. And, you know, I want to point out, you're not going to get this content anywhere else. No. You're simply not. It's the people who are at the show, it's us, the Misfits. You know, we're part of this freak show. It's just <laughs> the greatest. Yeah. Well, let's get a little bit to that. You know, you guys came here to load in your bikes. Kevin has a bike here as well. And uh, I got here early because I have to find where we're going to set up the lounge right mm -hmm. and that is something that we have started doing here and the i was gorilla lounge or as we say in the industry the long goo <laughs> yeah no, yes. no one says that but you you know and, and uh, i want to give a shout out to phil clevamoto because when we go to uh oh somebody's leaving yeah these it's a motorcycle show folks yeah exactly. <laughs> i know when we go to um vintage days Phil's been going so long, he's dialed it in. Right. He makes it fun and comfortable for us. And he, he's got it set up. Oh, yeah. And I feel like we've spent the last few years really learning the show. 
And I think this year we dialed it in. Kevin, would you say we, we nailed it this time? Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> well, I like how it's hidden, you know? you got to kind of find it. Yeah, so what we did is we just come and, and again, this is a... It's not a working building, but it's still... They left everything behind. So there's a lot of just nooks and corners with scraps and machinery and generators and anchors and just things. And we just look for an unused space. And we happen to find one behind the fence with, with some art hanging on it. We found a little... We call it our hidey hole. And we took over this alcove and set up our chairs. We put out the night bananas, some waters, some candy... Yep. And the lounge is open. And what do you think, Eric? Oh, I love it. It's a nice little respite when you get tired. Well, not get tired. You're walking around a lot. You know, I've had eight laps, and I still was finding new bikes. So you get a little exhausted looking at these. You wear yourself out. You do. Oh, yeah. And so it's a nice little place to relax, just chill for a second, have some nice conversations, and it's great. And, and of course, me and Liza aren't as young as we used to be. (laughs) So... Um, we have had a steady stream of visitors we to have. the Longu all weekend. And they'll see the banner and then they kind of, oh, there's people in there. And they'll stick there, hey, this is, and it's been just great. Yeah, it has. We've had, we've had a lot of visitors. Shout out to everyone who came by and said hi, got a banana. There's one guy who I saw wearing a Motorcycles and Misfits shirt went by I, and never found us. <laughs> I sent Kevin out to try yep, and find him. I tried. I tried. I so sorry, did. whoever you are. I looked for you for a while. <laughs> we, we were trying to get your attention. But um, so the, we got it dialed in. We had a place to sit, relax, right. but still watch everybody go by to feel the vibe and the energy here, which and is you know, something I love. The thing I'm proudest of about our participation in this show, it's one thing going to a show, and it's very, very easy for us to get press credentials for this every year, as you did, Liza, because first and foremost, Motorcycles and Misfits, we are legitimate journalists. But the last few years, we've really tried to be part of the show. We've had bikes exhibited in the show. This is year three for me with three different bikes. Bagel's got a bike in. We've had artists display at the show. We've worked at the show in the past. We, you know, we've become, this is our northern home from home. Yeah, exactly. And then we have people like, you know, Kevin and Eric who've been here all weekend hanging out with us. You know, the, the well, Misfits the, the family cool is extended, you know. So um, I want to see what are some of the highlights for you. All right, I'm going to start with you, Kevin. Okay. What was your highlight of the weekend? The highlight of the weekend? Well, like every year, I enjoy basically talking to the other builders. You know, being a builder myself yeah. and a restoration, you know, it's, it's great when someone walks up on your bike and you kind of just start that conversation. You can explain that. And it's great to do the same thing with everybody else, you know, when the builders are around. And just to share that knowledge and that excitement about motorcycles. Yeah. How about you, Bagel? Other than the welding. Yes. <laughs> the, the welding was definitely a highlight. Um, but, man, it's, it's really hard to decide because, I mean, just, just being able to see so many bikes in, in one place and all of the different ideas that people come up with and the creativity that goes into them, it's, it's just it's so just awesome to see that. Like, it's, yeah. it makes such an impression that... You know that there's there's so much that can be done. It, it really inspires you to do more, and I I'm hoping to carry that with me and and uh, work on some more stuff here pretty soon. Yeah. How about you, Emma? 
this place is a freak show. <laughs> and I love every moment of it. And I want to put that in perspective. Next week, we're going to be at the Quail. <laughs> yeah. and very different event. It's a very, very different event. Are they just as passionate about their motorcycles? Yes, they are. Are they as enthusiastic about the lifestyle? Yes, they are. But it's a very different crowd. Everyone's a lot more preppy. Everyone's a lot more well-behaved. Um, there's a lot more financial clout there. It's a very different event. And I just love that these two events are so close together and yet so far apart mm-hmm. on the spectrum. Yeah. How about, how about you, Eric? What's a highlight? It, it's hard to uh, pin it down. There's just The bikes are just incredible. But I love how you can approach these builders and just have real conversations with these people are just doing amazing work yeah. uh, i was talking to the guy that was build uh, the rafts there those are oh, just yeah. incredible looking bikes and he's just down to earth and just approachable loves showing off his work i mean, but that's just one builder and i had many conversations that's with the one with two shift levers and two brake pedals the raft well uh it's the one with that parallel arm and the, the yeah, visible yeah. gas tank yeah yeah he, just, he's got rear sets and forward con- sets and pegs, and they both have controls. I They're just linked. I didn't even know. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at the gas tank and the air yeah. box and all that, and just how beautifully machined it is. It is incredible. But, you know, as diverse as the bikes are, and it's represented in our builds, um, Kevin has done the most glorious restoration on the CB450. I've helped you along the way with the Asmus Emma Emma Page and it's just the most drop dead gorgeous stock restoration. Bagel has brought the Heinke Heinkel Pearl. (laughs) That is a something else. Just the most cute as a button little (laughs) moped. But in all the bikes here, in all the diversity of the bikes here, there is only one. Muscle Cafe. (laughs) I built it. (laughs) That's right. Should we explain that? Well, no, I think from this point forward, yeah, if you build a cafe bike and put big old tiller bars on it, it's a muscle cafe. We we have coined this term. And don't try and pull that shit with a 400, because you ain't going to pull it off. (laughs) You need some CC to back that up, mister. We've coined this term because you realize there are a lot of kind of crossover bikes and bikes like emma's it's cafe styling but on a powerful bike and that's a muscle cafe we're hoping that that spreads i'll tell you two of my favorite moments one of them was right before we went out for dinner i was walking out with bagel to the car and we're all sitting in the lounge we're like well we're gonna get up we're gonna go out to dinner and we're just walking through the crowd and i get hit with this wave of the smell and the sounds and the energy and the sights and I just had this fulfilled moment of like this is my happy place the only other place I really have that is at AMA Vintage Days at the barrel racing you know (laughs) where there's this total chaos and dust in the air and you're just sitting there going like ah and I had that ah moment Uh, but the other one was uh, the night before when we're like we're all making plans to go out to dinner right and our family kept growing. And it right. was like, it was started out like a couple of us are going to go out to dinner. Well, hey, oh, hey, let's invite them over. Hey, hey, we've, I've been hanging out with him all day. Come on, join us. Next thing you know, it's like a dozen of us going out to dinner. And that's kind of the misfits thing. 
we extend our family yes, and, and it just keeps growing. And I'm just, I have those moments where I'm just very proud of this thing that we have that everyone is a part of. And I, I'd like to talk about a lovely moment I had last night. And it's going to resonate with some of our English listeners, maybe some of our American listeners too, of a certain age. And I brought two bikes up to the show. Um, I bought one specifically to put into the show, the Maraguzzi V11. But I brought up an old 79 Yamaha XS1100. Primarily to flip. But my truck, the works truck, got stuck in the corner of the builder's parking lot. I'm not going to be able to get it out until probably tomorrow afternoon. So it's been stuck there all three days. So I've been using the XS as transport to go out to dinner and back. And it's such a nostalgic journey. You've fallen in love with that bike. Riding yeah. a big air-cooled four with a basically a straight pipe four into one oh, through a strange city at night. Beautiful sounding bike. It's great and yeah. it's so nostalgic because that's what we all did back in the day. We'd buy these bikes, and I mean, I bought a GS1000 when I was very, very young. We threw that exhaust away, and we put a loud four into one on it, and it's the noise of my youth, and it's just great. Riding across the bridge, so you're like 100 feet up over the, over the water, doing like 80 miles an hour with a bike howling underneath you, and you're in shirt sleeves because it's warm. That's the one thing we don't get in California is warm nights. When the sun goes down, temperature drops 20 degrees. It's like, right now it's probably 70 degrees. It's like an Indian summer, right? It's, oh, it's beautiful. beautiful weather. This is, it's a gorgeous venue. It's a great town. This has been a superb weekend for me all round. I'm all misty-eyed and nostalgic for my youth, darling. Well, and, you know, another one of my favorite moments, and uh, Kevin, you were there for that is I saw some of the Cossacks, the motorcycle drill team, walking by. Yep. I just ran out and said, hey, come here. <laughs> come here. And I brought them into the lounge. The Longu. The Longu. Have a seat. Have a night banana. Some water. And they sat down and told us stories about tricks they're working on and the history. They're reviving a lot of that, those old yeah. tricks. Isn't that something else? And just like, just shooting the shit. And then even uh, hanging out with our friends at Kickstands Up, who we met at AIM Expo. Yep. And, uh, you know, shout out to John and Ashley, just these friends we made. I'm constantly reminded how small this industry is. And you go to these events and you hang out in certain circles and you wait, wait. see... Speaking oh, of oh, Ashley, I just up. mentioned you. I did. I did. That's and now you're walking by. You're like how serendipitous. Right? <laughs> Excellent. I'm just stalking you guys at this point, honestly. <laughs> I know, I was just saying it was a, it was great that we made friends with you guys at AIM Expo, and now it's just another part of our extended family to see you at another event and hang out. Yeah, you guys are the best. I'm Aww. grateful for you guys. Thank um, you. Give a plug for Kickstands Up just in case people have forgotten. So what is it you do? Why should people download the Kickstands Up icon on their phone? 
Kickstands Up is a motorcycle event platform where you can find motorcycle events across North America based off of your riding style. Is it customizable? It is absolutely customizable. So you can choose by the type of bikes that you ride. You can choose by the type of event that you're interested in. It was founded by a bunch of a bunch of dirt bike riders who were sick and tired of missing out on cool events. And now we want to make sure no one else has that problem. But it's not just for dirt bike riders, is it? For everyone. There you go. <laughs> and that's why we like it, because it's inclusive for everyone. That's the misfit way. Yeah. Awesome. You're a misfit. I am officially a misfit. I'm so grateful for you guys. And Ashley, this is your first time at the One Show. What do you think? It is. It's incredible. It's absolutely beautiful. There's so much talent in this room. I think that's perfect. We were talking the creativity and not just the bikes, but the cars, the food, everything. Yeah, it's a win all around. It is. Well, good. We hope to see you at the next event. Yeah, see you guys soon. All right, see ya. Isn't that funny? The timing was perfect. The timing was so good. That's not edited. Nope. Ashley literally showed up (laughs) as we were talking about her. Um, And I wanted to talk real quick. Uh, We did interviews with some of the car guys, but uh, were there any cars that you guys really loved? What about you, Kevin? Well, there was actually a car that brought me back to my childhood. There's a 77 Monte Carlo out there. And that that was my first car. So looking at that, brought me quite quite a ways back yeah, it's great in high school had a 75 yeah they're <laughs> and, great and how about you eric oh that volkswagen roadster yep oh yep. my Just describe that oh well it's a rat rod of a volkswagen with a, a volkswagen uh, bug front yes. end mm-hmm. with a uh, what was it a 928 uh a yeah 920, engine yeah Incredible! Just hanging out the yeah, just hanging out the back. I would love to hear that thing fire up. I want to hear that thing tomorrow. And I think the other one was the the jacked and lifted off roading hearse with the casket in the back. Yes, (laughs) that that thing was like six feet in there. It was pretty awesome. Um, Old cars, junk cars, fun cars, off road Corvette. Yes. Yeah, that we talked to. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. there's so much. You know, I am just a sucker for Americana. As somebody who's kind of come to America and embraced America, and the one that really did it for me, there is just this glorious '59 Thunderbird, mm. and it's the color of pudding. <laughs> it's a pudding-colored Thunderbird, and it just it tickles. Wait, chocolate pudding? No. <laughs> I'd say it's vanilla pudding color. Oh, like a tapioca? Yeah, it's tapioca oh. color. And it just pushes all my buttons the right way. Yeah, this is um, this is such a well-organized event. When you come here, they sell tickets in batches. So you can buy a three-hour... We don't need no stinking batches. You can buy a three-hour, uh, you know ticket or you can buy a one-day ticket or a whole festival ticket right so what do you guys think should people consider next year if they're not from this area flying in here buying a whole weekend pass no do you think i they'd recommend have, it having a lot of fun yeah. Yeah. guaranteed weekend yeah there's so much to see you walk around like like eric was saying every time i walk around i see something new yeah something i missed or even if you've seen that bike before you'll notice something else about it right. like that uh, sand rail i didn't realize that it had a freaking uh, what was it a uh, four-cylinder out of a suzuki a suzuki uh 750 in right. there so or, or the fact that i walked by that that sportster that had a paddle wheel on the back yes. and right. pictures of a dude jumping sand dunes so, like, on whoa. a sportster yeah this event is open all day friday all day Saturday and Sunday morning and early afternoon up until 3 o'clock. 
there is plenty to do. Bring yourself, stay in a local hotel, wing it, get a weekend pass. You will not run out of things to see. You will not run out of things to do. You will not run out of things to eat. You don't need to leave the venue. I hope next year that you guys can uh, team up the uh, rally, the Misfits rally, with this again, back-to-back weekends, because it was amazing. I was able to spend last weekend at the rally and then take my time and tour the Lost Coast. That Lost Coast is spectacular. Wait, you're not sick of us yet? Well, I was I, thinking the other way around. You guys are probably sick of seeing us, right? Yeah, right? <laughs> Never. I, I thought you came here because I brought the gummy gummy dicks here. <laughs> yeah, I still have some of the gummy I won those gummy dicks, and I still have some. They're pretty tasty, I'll tell you. They are yeah, tasty dicks. Don't forget that they do have the diarrhea ingredient. Oh. So don't come crying so, to us if you eat, fill your shorts. Eat, eat your dicks in moderation. I thought that was a vindaloo. Well, vindaloo is Indian for windy poo, which is what you get after eating one. Okay, I think on that note, I just want to give a big thanks to all the people who put on this event. They have so many volunteers that also uh, make it better. I mean, um, Tiffany, uh, she volunteered for three hours. She was put on cigarette butt pickup duty. Oh, wow. Like, that's (laughs) the level of detail of, like, keeping this thing nice. You know, and the, the smallest detail. Now, look, they've got porta potties here, and whenever you go to an event with porta potties, no matter how many there are, you always kind of make the sign of the cross before you open the door. At no stage during the whole weekend have I walked into one of those porta potties and found it to be dirty, smelly, just unusable. They're kept clean, they're kept operable. It's details like that that bring home the bacon. Yeah, they're on top of it. Yeah, they they really are on top of it. Well run. But I think, as you guys were saying, people come in here for three hours, they stroll by, carrying their helmet, look at the bikes, and they leave. And it's like, there's so much fuel miss. Mm -hmm. There's so much detail. But, again, one of my favorite things is just sitting in our lounge and just feeling the vibe and watching the people go by and just kind of... Taking in, Take, the, taking taking in, in the sites, yeah. And we'll be here next year. Oh, yeah. Come and join us. Big thanks to all of our listeners who came by and said hi. More than ever before. Tons of people came by. There were times the lounge was full and I couldn't even go in and sit down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How awesome was that? Um, yeah. We had dogs there. There were babies there. It was what a great, what a great weekend. So, big thanks to everyone who came by. Big thanks to the organizers here. And big thanks to all of our listeners. This is why we're doing it for you, to help share these stories. And especially our Patreon subscribers for giving me the money to buy a plane ticket to come up here. There you go. But this is how we get the content to you, dear listener. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And I'm just going to throw out also a big thanks to... Douglas, who's opening the garage for me tomorrow, because I won't be getting until later. And that's another thing. We talk about this extended family of misfits. There's always someone else who will step in to cover something, cover the garage or do something. What a great, great time. So I think on that note, we're almost ready to get out of here. But first, go to MotorcyclesAndMisfits.com. You'll find the link to everything there. And you can go and order your new shirts 
I've been shipping out to our Patreon subscribers. Whatever is left over is going to be for sale. So if your size is still available, it is for sale. The new shirts are pretty Put cool. Now, we're going to do the sign out. Um, Kevin, you're going to have to figure out how this works. Okay. All right, we're going to do this on the fly. All right, thank you, everybody. It's time to get out of here. This is Liza. This is Eric. Emma Darling. Bagel. And Kevin. And we, we are, are out, out of here. here. Cool, cool.